0: Welcome, one and all, to episode 269 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this week's episode brought to you by Tech Media. Check out Markitect on Twitch, Saturday through Thursday, 9 to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash And this is also the Rescued Bull episode of the SLS Cast. Because it turns out that there was a bull rescued as a calf by a non. Anonymous activists days before his planned slaughter, the calf's name, calf two sixty nine, and with that wonderful little bit of animal activist bull knowledge, I of course am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee and current reigning champion of I know how to predict the Oscars,
1: Tim, calf. 269, that doesn't have a very fairy tale happy ending ring to it. I mean, if this were a Disney movie,
0: they would have called it or named it something cuter. Indeed. Well, um so the idea here was is that this is a very cute and lovable calf and its ear was tagged and the tag was 269 and uh indicating I guess somehow that it was going to be slaughtered. And this was an and an, an, this occurred in Israel. It was an an Israeli organization and an Israeli calf. Um and so they absconded with the calf and it became some kind of symbol for Whatever. I don't know. And, um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, there, there were protests in the United Kingdom as well as in Israel. So, um, yeah, but, uh, but the calf, uh, obviously lived and is now a happy bull, um, described as sweet tempered and white headed. Hmm
1: white-headed as in that's the color of his head, or... Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. yes. I didn't know if there was an underlining... No, I knew
0: where you were going with that! (laughs) I absolutely knew where you were going. So how the hell are you, sir?
1: I am relieved. Uh, The Oscars are over with, done with. Uh, However, I did watch the ceremony last night. Today is uh, Monday. The uh, the ceremony was yesterday, March 4th. And I gotta say, I I was impressed with it. It it reminded me of the Oscars that I knew and loved 10 years ago or so, where they didn't really rush. You know now it's going to be a long-ass show. Why not? Just let it fucking play out, because the past few years, you just have people going up, they say their thing, Jimmy Kimmel or the host comes out, and they just rush through all their lines and dialogue, they never have fun, you never really feel like it's an ode to the movies, and this time it actually felt like it was a, it was an ode to the films, it wasn't overly political, uh, the stuff that they focused on was done in good taste, and uh, I guess overall it was just a very tasteful uh, ceremony. But yeah, I am I'm, uh, I'm ready I'm ready for all of this, The Shape of Water and Get Out talk to, you know, take a back seat for a little while.
0: Yeah, I, I managed to catch the opening speech, uh, and I got to uh, I, I watched the in memoriam stuff. Um, I watched the Best Picture announcements. I got to see Francis McDormand's speech about the inclusion rider um and I got to see the thing where the they started to bring the music I can't remember what it was about but they started to bring the music up and then the person started talking about their dead parents and then they cut the music off um because you know dead mom trumps needing to get them off stage yeah I don't know I I guess in terms of not being too political, and everything. Yes, you're right, and I guess th- they also let it play out fairly well. But maybe that's just because they were all competing for the jet ski. I don't know. <laughs> however, however, I was a little bit miffed by Kimmel, mainly because his speech, his opening speech, especially when it comes to you know it comes to things like you know Me Too and Times Up and whatever. It's a little bit like Michael Jackson when he was in London, um, several years before he passed away. And he made a speech about how wrong it is to molest children. And when you have the guy who's the presenter, or the host of the Oscars, whose literal springboard to fame was the man show, a show that celebrated all things Misogynistic, women bouncing on trampolines, um, porn day camp, um, you know, and, and all other issues like that. Um, and this is the guy you choose to be the front runner for the Me Too movement. It's a little bit, um, I don't know, uncouth at best and maybe hypocritical at worst. I, I, I don't know. So I was a little off-put by that.
1: But has he come out against any of that or at
0: least acknowledged uh, nope. you know, who he was before? Not, I can literally find nothing about it. It's kind of like he just disappeared for a little bit, let Corolla take the heat and kind of start doing some more um, right-wing, leaning podcast stuff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then doing, that st- doing uh, what, 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 Love Radio? What, what the fuck was that show? The, he did with dr drew he had a it was like I, I i don't know sex therapy radio show talk i don't wait, know wait corolla um, did corolla corolla no. did so it was kind of like he just kind of you know faded off for a little bit and let kind of corolla take the heat and corolla then went off and started kind of doing his conservative a little bit more conservative thing he's not like a i, I don't know i don't listen to the guy but from what or from what i understand he's more conservative leaning And then all of a sudden, like six, seven years ago, he just pops up as the host of Jimmy Kimmel Live. And then from there, he, you know, has remade himself in the image of all things cause celeb. So so that it just kind of bothered me. And then it set, it kind of set the tone for me to not, you know, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it as much so whatever
1: well that shouldn't have been a the biggest slap in the face i mean you did have kobe bryant receive
0: an oscar and that was another thing it's like kobe bryant wins for the best animated short and i did go back and i watched the animated short was it good and is it good um i would say that it is really really decent so is is what I would say i would I, I and I think what really drives it is the art, not necessarily the poem that Kobe Bryant reads, but yeah, and it's kind of like there you go again, it's like Kobe Bryant, dude, you butt fucked a chick while you're supposed to be married, and she sued you for it, and you're standing up at the Oscars getting an oscar my my brain hurt just a little bit from that, so. <sighs> Whatever, uh, <laughs> you know. I just wish that the Lonely Island had gotten to do their song.
1: Oh yeah, so. I uh, I heard something about that. Is that funny or was it actually good? Because I I mean, the Lonely Island—they're always the same. But was it good? Because it, it was talking about all the movies, or it was a song about all the movies that did not get nominated, right?
0: Yeah, basically. What about yeah? What about me? Is the name of the song? So the hook is all the big money making blockbuster films, right? Um the stars of those films either in character or as the star themselves are singing. Well what about me, you know? So like Gal Gadot comes out dressed and it's of course all storyboarded because it didn't happen. Um so it's all storyboarded and everything, but Uh, Gal Godot comes out and she's like, Hey, what about me? I saved the world and had a sword and, and hit a sword in my dress. And, uh, and Chris Hemsworth is like, What about me? I got a new haircut, you know, for my, (laughs) you know, for my movie and all this stuff. And so, and it was, I thought it was hilarious. I really would have liked to see it. But the highlight of even just this recording that they did that was kind of like the demo reel, if you will, like this is what our idea is. Is the, the center of the song, the bridge, hangs on the four Chrises. So, Chris Hemsworth, um, Chris Pine, Chris, um, oh, fuck, Captain America. Chris Evans. Chris Evans and...
1: Chris Parnell.
0: No. Chris Cornell.
1: No. Chris Christopherson.
0: No, you're not helping. Christopher Walken. No, it's one of the younger, you know, good looking Chris's.
1: Joel Edgerton. <laughs> Chris uh, Pratt. A scars guard. I don't know.
0: Chris Pratt. Oh. So. They get up and they're like, you know, so what about the, what about all the four, what about, or, you know, what about the Chris's? And so they're like, you know, um, all of our movies that did so great and we'd have all these action movies and then Chris Rock tries to slide in there and join them as the fifth Chris. And I, you know, it would have been, it would have been pretty hilarious. So I would have wanted to see it to be sure. But anyway, so yeah, so you were so you did well with the Oscar picks.
1: I did. I mean, do we want to go over this now or fuck
0: no. That's you know, there's, there's it's a detox. You were right 18 of the 21. I was correct 8 of the 21. But I do think that you know, Working where you're Oh, you no, no, no. You're in...
1: correct. Nine of the 21. Ooh, I uh, Nine is a 21. Of nine of Look the 21.
0: Look out. Ooh, I, I gained one. Yay. No, I, I really think that, um, I'm just going to have to pay more attention because you even said, like, I don't know, man. I'll, a lot of the things that I'm seeing and, you know, where I work and all this kind of stuff. So you definitely were closer to the pulse. So I'm just going to have to pay attention when you start saying those things next year and just go, okay, you're right, I agree with you, and then see if that works.
1: (laughs) But it's not necessarily that. I think what's most telling of uh, doing this is this year not only did we focus on movies that we expected, but it was movies that we wanted to win. So out of the movies we wanted to win, only eight of yours won, 11 of mine won. And what I think is interesting about that, and yeah, I mean, maybe I I have a little bit of advantage because I'm around more people that talk about it, but when it comes to the movies that that we wanted to win, these are movies that I still stand by today. Maybe, well actually there's a couple of them that I'm not exactly too sure why I said I wanted it to win, but like even Phantom Thread, like Daniel Day-Lewis, just honestly, like I stand by those picks, as I'm sure you do as well that those movies especially that movie should have received more recognition
0: it just pisses me off what really pisses me off is Guillermo del Toro winning best director and shape of water getting best picture it's fucking sure. bullshit it's fucking bullshit it wasn't the best picture and i know but that there we could have been
1: worse movies to have won best picture
0: in that list
1: yeah, I think three... I, I would not have wanted three billboards. I would not have um, wanted The Post.
0: No, okay, that's right. I totally forgot about The Post. Dear God. Okay, you're I wouldn't right. have
1: yeah. wanted Get Out. Hmm. Not Darkest uh, Hour. Not Darkest Hour. Uh, not Dunkirk.
0: Well, okay. Yeah, I can see. I guess just because I was so invested into Call Me By Your Name and Phantom Thread... I, yeah. I keep forgetting about those, and I really did enjoy Get Out. I guess I probably would not have hated it if Get Out had won, um, but yeah, I don't know. It just didn't. It, I don't know. The whole thing didn't run me. And, and please don't misunderstand. I don't hate Guillermo del Toro by any stretch of the imagination, and I don't want to begrudge him any success. But I just I, I don't. And I and again, I thought it was hilarious when he double checked the envelope. That was pretty funny. Um, but it just, I don't know. I just, I don't think this was, I don't think it was work. And I, and now the, everything's like, Hey, you know, it's like, so him and Inaritu and I can't remember the third guy's name. They were all friends in in film school and college and stuff. And now they've gotten the, uh, and they're all best directors now three out of the last, you know, four out of the last five years. Between Best Director and Best Picture have gone to to these guys' movies over the last five years, so that's really cool. But um,
1: oh, are you I talking about uh, Denny Villeneuve? Villeneuve? yeah. Is that was that
0: is that is that who? Because they're calling them the Three Amigos now. So because they all because they all <laughs> oh, got well, their... Well, because they're yeah, all he's Mexican. A fan. Yeah, well, They're yeah, all Denis Mexican.
1: Denis Villeneuve is, is Canadian French, so I guess okay, he's not a you. three amigo.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and um, God, I can't think of who it, who it is because they were all friends in film school and college, and then they've all, because it's, oh, geez, it's not, okay, so Eneritu is one, and then obviously just now, Del Toro. I can't think of the third guy. Anyway, oh well, but at any rate, I guess neither here nor there. So, outside of the whole Oscar thing, how was your week, sir?
1: We're moving. Uh, the more significant other and I are are getting out of this place. <laughs> the, the upgraded significant other. The yeah, the upgraded <laughs> the uh, she is the uh, no California king proved. of significant others. <laughs> we're going to be uh, yeah we're going to be moving. It'll be nice. Yeah, more space, no shared walls. Definitely a better recording experience. So just a lot of taking stuff off the of walls, packing boxes and that type of stuff. How, how about yourself? Anything fun and
0: exciting? Um everything was pretty copacetic up until today. And we're dealing with uh, two of the three uh kidlets here at the house I've got stomach flu and about um two hours ago I started coming down with it as well
1: oh man so that's what you're dealing with tummy problems
0: oh yeah it's yeah it started around eight. well I guess almost three hours ago at this point started around eight o'clock while I was at work and I've just been feeling crappier and crappier and um, so yeah, believe me, I've already had to go like, take when you care say, of crappier business. Crappier and crappier, you're saying? Yeah, literally, yeah. like literally. Yeah, it's, uh, so. Yeah, so I've got the glass of water here, and I'm trying not to have to go run away suddenly. But if you hear like this, just you know, like, and then you'll know why. So.
1: Matt didn't make it to the toilet to perform the Texas (laughs) Twister. He is performing the Texas Twister live
0: on the SLS cast. That's right.
1: Which still might have been more entertaining than the movie Mute.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Mute on the old Netflix. Don't know that I'm watching that. Anyway, (laughs) shall we go ahead and jump into the old news? Let's jump into the old news. All right, here we go, folks. It's... The news. All right. And first up from me, a trio. I have a trio of articles because they're really quick. And I want to share them all Oscar related so that this way I can just be done with the Oscars. First up, we have from indiewire.com by way of Michael Nordine. And this is actually back from the 25th of February. Uh, but I just absolutely thought this was a really cool article and wanted to talk about it. What is the John C. Riley Award? And how did Michael Stolbar just become the first person to win it in 15 years? Turns out that this is an incredibly rare feat that only 11 others have ever achieved. And here's what it is John C. Riley did something exceedingly rare back in 2002. He appeared in three different Best Picture nominees. His roles in Gangs of New York, Chicago, and The Hours, all of which premiered within a week of each other, are now the basis for what five hundred thirty eight has appropriately dubbed the John C. Riley Award, which is, quote, figuratively bestowed on the actor who appears in the most Best Picture nominees in a single year, with a minimum of the three... Required for consideration, end quote. And this year's winner, as we have mentioned before, and in fact the first one since Riley himself, is none other than Michael Stuhlbarg. Uh, the oft-snubbed actor had supporting roles in The Post, The Shape of Water, and Call Me By Your Name. Uh, he was considered a potential Best Supporting Actor nominee for his lovely performance in Luca Guad- Guadagnino's romantic drama, but those dreams, unfortunately went the way of first love prior to riley no one had done this since the 1940s curiously it wasn't an especially rare feat back then 11 people did it between 1935 and 1943 though only two of them were women Uh, and there is a wonderful little chart there where you can see all the people who are on the list and uh, I highly recommend you go check it out along with the rest of the article there. Uh, again, from IndieWire.com, what is the John C. Riley Award, and how did Michael Stilberg just become the first person to win it in 15 years? Um, then we have also another distinguished honoree for the uh, Oscars this year. In 2018, the Oscars for this year, the 90th Oscars, and this is from uh, Entertainment Weekly, EW.com, by way of Dana Schwartz uh robert lopez becomes the first person in history to double egot yes that's right robert lopez may have won the oscar for best original song with his wife Kristen anderson lopez for remember me from coco but the real prize is that uh is what that Oscar means, I can talk, I promise, when he adds it to the rest of his shelf. Lopez is now the only person in the world who has ever achieved a double EGOT. There are currently 12 individuals who have won at least one Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, a list that includes Mel Brooks, Rita Moreno, and Whoopi Goldberg. Lopez, a composer who co-created the Book of Mormon and Avenue Q, has won at least two of each. Now, the list of of 12 only um, includes those who won them for competitive categories. So, uh, the list is actually somewhere in, like, the 30s um if you include things like you know um best like film editing or and and or otter ones like that visual effects and stuff like that so um but yeah, so he actually is someone who has done that. It is ridiculous. Uh Let's see here. So he got his first Oscar along with his wife for the song Let It Go from Frozen. Got two de- uh, Daytime Emmy Awards for his work on the animated children's series Wonder Pets. His three Grammys are for Best Musical Theater Album for Book of Mormon, Best Compilation Soundtrack for Visual Media from Frozen, and Best Song Written for Visual Media, Let It Go. He has won every Tony he's been nominated for, Best Original Score for Avenue Q, and best book and best original score for book of mormon so uh that is also really super duper cool and then finally 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 from the independent.co.uk we have a video um here but also an article by jack shepherd and it is dwayne johnson happily accepts baywatch's razzie yes Uh, the Baywatch movie was so incredibly bad that they actually created a new category for it. Uh, and it is basically a movie that was so incredibly bad, you actually ended up liking it. Um, and the acceptance speech that, uh, The Rock does on, or Dwayne Johnson does on his Twitter feed is hilarious and very heartfelt, um, and so, and he totally acknowledges that this is a completely terrible movie and well deserving of his Razzie Award. But I really thought that that was cool. Uh, I think it's great when, um, actors and actresses do not take themselves so seriously that they can't, um, accept lighthearted fun. Uh, and also when they can accept the fact that, you know what? Every once in a while, you do lay an egg. So, Check out all of those articles again, Tim. Anything that you would like to say about Dwayne Johnson's Razzie for a brand new category because Baywatch was so shitty, the John C. Reilly Award, which Michael Stuhlbarg just grabbed, or Robert Lopez becoming the first double EGOT winner?
1: I think it's cool that what's his name took it on the chest or took it on the chin, however that whatever you know that saying goes or whatever. But I think taking it on the chest is significantly different uh then taking it on the chin but uh it's cool i guess he he's nice about it but you kind of wonder like is doing the rock johnson really that nice or is it a front i don't know you know
0: i think that people who are not genuinely decent and that's not to say that people don't have bad days so i'm sure every virtually everybody out there uh you could probably dig up a story of some, like a fan or something that was pissed off by him. Um, but it seems to me that the people who are truly genuinely nice, um, even if they don't have a huge stream of successful, um, works or works in progress, they never fade from the limelight. So that's, and, and of course that also helps because they are likable that they do generally keep getting work. So, um, you know, like John Cena, for example, he's never far from the public eye. And this is the guy who has literally got like the record and counting for the most make a wish, uh, wishes in the history of the organization. No um, shit, really. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. He's so far ahead. I don't see how anybody's going to catch up to him. So, you know, so it's just when you're just a genuinely nice human being and sincere human being that you just can't have a 20-something year career in Hollywood if that's not the case. So,
1: uh, And I think the John C. Riley Award is absolutely fantastic because that mofo has been in so much stuff. He was in Paul Thomas Anderson's early movies. Good for him. I mean, he's come a long way and super versatile. So I, it's cool that something, even even if it's kind of a silly award, it actually means quite a lot, I think. So I'm going to get my one piece of Oscar news out of the way from TheVerge.com. How Rotten Tomatoes May Have Radically Skewed the Oscars Best Picture Race. This year was published on March, tw- uh, March 2nd, written by Daniel Joy, Joyu, J-O-Y-A-U-X. It's that French, Frenchness, that's got to me there. Again, it's from The Verge, uh, and it says this. For a certain class of Oscar viewers, the Best Original Screenplay category has always been the one to watch. That's where the best films end up, the movies too smart or creative to be fully appreciated by the broader academy, and certainly not widely accepted enough to get into the best picture race. It's the category for movies that challenge traditional notions of filmmaking. In the 1950s, it was their art house icons like Federico Fellini, Ingmar Bergman, and Francois Truffaut, who received their first nominations. In 1989, it was the category that recognized two huge game-changers of American cinema, Do the Right Thing and Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and in the 2000s, it became the refugee for the favorite films of a new generation of cinephiles like Memento, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Pan's Labyrinth. But these films are no longer getting segregated into these screenplay categories. Now they're best picture nominees and even serious contenders for the award. Spike Jones's 1999 movie Bing Jong Malkovich didn't receive a best picture nomination, but his 2013 movie Her did. Wes Anderson didn't get a best picture nom for 2001's The Royal Tenenbaums, but he did for 2014's The Grand Budapest Hotel. And P.T. Anderson's 1997 hit Boogie Nights wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but his Phantom Thread is a nominee this year, or was a nominee this year. There are all these cases where young, disruptive directors have gradually become more accepted and familiar to the Academy over time, but their nominated films are just as wonderfully weird, uncompromisingly specific, and personal as the films that missed out a decade or more earlier. In their modern equivalents, first-time solo directors Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele are starting their directorial careers with Best Picture nominations for their own idiosyncratic personal visions. The easy explanation is that the number of allowed Best Picture nominees was expanded in 2009, permitting a wider range of options. That's true, and it's a factor, but it doesn't get us all the way there. After all, Get Out and Ladybird, which wouldn't have received Best Picture nominations 10 years ago, weren't merely the eighth or ninth films that got into the field. They're both considered contenders to actually win Best Picture. They're ranked the third and fourth most likely winners, respectively, according to Gold Derby and Oscar experts, have championed both of them as potential winners. Like any major institutional shift, the growing number of offbeat, Best Picture nominees comes from several interconnected factors. The nomination process for Best Picture has changed, the Academy's makeup has changed, and the ubiquity of Rotten Tomatoes seems to have created an unprecedented unity between critical taste and Oscar results. For most of Oscar history, a film could rack up a ton of 3rd, 4th, or 5th place votes on a ballot and receive a Best Picture nomination. Though it's impossible to say for sure, it's reasonably likely that's how middling popular nominees like Seabiscuit and The Full Monty made it into the race, but those days are gone. The rules were substantially changed in 2011, and now, for a film to receive a Best Picture nomination, it needs at least 5% of the first place votes. In effect, the shift altered the Best Picture nomination process from a measure of consensus to a measure of passion. And it makes great sense. Why should a film be nominated for Best Picture if there isn't a sizable faction of the Academy who thinks it's actually the year's Best Picture? And the article goes on from there, basically what it goes into more detail uh, explaining. Nowadays, it, it seems like a lot of movies even to a degree, the shape of water where people go and watch a movie and we have younger critics now who can post Rotten Tomatoes, critical scores who are not necessarily even critics who consider something different, something that they haven't seen before overly substantial, which is why we have something like get out. People say that get out is an amazing movie. Does it represent a movie going audience who aren't necessarily represented in such a way i guess yeah that's true but does that mean it deserves an award because of that no it's okay for a good movie to be good even if it does do something a little bit different or it does something that we haven't seen in a a while in such a popular way get out wouldn't have been such a huge oscar contender if the movie didn't Catch on, you know, like if it didn't make as much money, I'd be hard pressed to believe that Jordan Peele would have been nominated for best director and the movie would have been nominated for best picture. I don't think that with uh, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig definitely did a great job. I don't know if Lady Bird was definitely best picture material per se, but compared to, say, movies like The Post, which was more political than it being a fantastic, memorable movie, you know, it was definitely a better crafted film to stand the test of time. Matt, what do you think about this? Do you you feel like uh, Rotten Tomato critical scores or whatever do play a big part? And do you think people judging a movie and holding a movie to such a claim or giving a movie such a claim just because it's a little bit different than what we're used to a problem, or maybe not a problem, but maybe a shift, I guess, in today's movie-going climate?
0: No, I don't really think that it does, because if you look at a movie like ladybird um one of the things that put ladybird on the map um was its universal praise for so long now yes they did use they did highlight rotten tomatoes as kind of like the key on that but um it wasn't the users of Rotten Tomatoes, so much as it was just the unanimous support, and it's just Rotten Tomatoes is the easiest one to point to. But there's still Metacritic out there. IMDb runs user ratings and stuff like that as well. Um, if you're gonna blame user ratings, then blame user ratings as a whole. Don't just sit there and throw it at the you know easy most easily uh, recalled um, brand in terms of everybody looking at things that are just slightly different from what we've seen before, that's what, every, I mean, come on. Any movie... Well, no, you can't. That does that's that.
1: not a accor- That's not totally true. I mean, you look at something like Phantom Thread or Call Me By Your Name, it's a different love story, but it's a completely well-crafted, beautiful film. That doesn't play on what we're necessarily familiar with, unlike where my big issue with Get Out is that Get Out was an, a completely, I guess, original film. I mean, yeah, it was a different story. I've never really seen a story like that before. But like how it was made, some of the beats, some of the notes, some of the humor is some of the same stuff well, I, we've seen uh, that Jordan Peele has done in uh, whenever he riffs movies on, or whenever he did riff movies on Key and Peele.
0: Right, but we're also, that that's, uh, you're talking about cable TV versus the cinema. I think the format switch, Means something. Uh, and, and that's something that's being taken into consideration. And I think that call me by your name as a period drama along with, um, period drama slash love story along with phantom thread, also period drama slash love story are also twists on a narrative that while very, very well done and properly executed. No, I don't think anybody's arguing that are definitely things that are breaks from the norm you don't see you don't see high couture fashionista art taking place as a period drama and a love story that's that that is that well done you don't see that very often you don't see um the struggling uh, the the struggling love story taken from someone who struggles with his or her sexual identity. In this case, of course, Timothy Chalamet's character um, is struggling with his identity, and same with Army Hammer. You don't see it done in that regard through the period lens, and being in Italy as well, you don't see that every day. It doesn't matter. I mean, you no, know, I, I, don't think one. Well, no, but. Precludes what, but the other. But do you think that was? But hang on, hang on, because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm getting there. So then same thing with Ladybird. It is also the odd, quirky, you know, and I, and, and here because it's trying to be more quirky, um, it's still a break from the norm, especially when the norm has become the, hyperbolic one size fits all marvel movie and then you break that into um shape of water which the fucking thing won best picture and that was the weirdest fucking movie i mean it's a fish fucking movie you know so and even and people still make those jokes which is sad because we all know that that's not what it was trying to go for but that's still what the only thing people take away from it so yes i do think that it being something different and having that being keyed on is a factor in it. And I think it's a legitimate factor in it, which is what causes it to be singled out um, or at least pulled out into the group that becomes Best Picture but nominee. But
1: it's not – he's gone on record saying that he wanted to make a movie for his particular audience. And he did that.
0: I assume we're talking about Del Toro.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, Peel. Get Out was oh, made okay. for a particular oh, okay. audience. Sorry. Which is fine. I rewatched the movie last week. I enjoyed the movie, but did I find some of the dialogue purposefully forward for the sake of being forward? Yeah. Was it supposed to be that way? Maybe so, but I don't think it was something that was crafted, molded into the story by a, a very good writer. You know? Whereas, say Call Me By Your
0: Name... Bearing in mind that he did win for original script, he did, yeah,
1: and I totally am not for that at all. And I'm not, and again, I don't want it to. I mean, I don't give a fuck, but but it's like we're as, whereas, Phantom Thread and Call Me by Your Name, and even The Shape of Water, are made by and were written by people who had an understanding and actually knew how to create believable. Characters and write dialogue to where they can tackle an issue, tackle a subject, a very complex subject, and do it in such a way that makes sense. Now, granted, Get
0: Out is a comedy. So then let me, so then let me ask you this Would it be fair to say that Peel admits to having written this for a particular audience? Um, and you are not that audience. And perhaps his win is a result of the efficacy with which he got his message across to his audience to such a degree that even those not in his audience acknowledge the greatness or at least the potential greatness of the, of the, of the work itself.
1: There are other films out there where that is the case. But I am able to identify that and realize that, okay, well, there is something good there that I'm just, I'm not on that same track. I could say that with The Shape of Water. People love that movie. You know, it's a a well-made, beautiful film. However, I feel like people are a little bit distracted by its pretty look. You know, it's artistry in the production. They're not really focusing too much on the narrative faults. And in a way, I think with Get Out, people are looking at the politics behind it instead of looking at it as a movie. And that's personally what I see. But I am able to say, I can't say that it's a good movie. It's an entertaining movie. But it's more of like a, a political divisive film a politically charged film that doesn't necessarily have art encompassing it.
0: Okay. Whenever I just I disagree with that statement, but Oh, no, that's okay. fine. I
1: mean I figured. But like even like with Jordan like you watch you watch the T V you watch <laughs> Key and Peel and you watch them do their
0: uh And and just to be clear, I've only ever watched their highlights. I've never actually sat down and watched uh, a full episode of Key and
1: Peele. Oh, so, right. I mean, even if, even if you saw a skit where they were doing something on a movie, sure. they're doing a play I, on I on love a... their,
0: I love their, and I said, bitch, that's one of my favorite, uh, Key and Peel skits. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of their great skits and, and when they do their, um, their football player names things i mean yeah it's also or you done fuck fuck you done fucked up Ron. i mean yeah i've seen yeah i mean
1: yeah all that's funny but they do like the movies they do like the 80s movies or you know they they hone in on something that's nostalgic and specific get out is kind of done that same exact way and i remember watching the trailer with the significant other and she was like this movie does not the trailer does not do the film justice whatsoever And then you watch the movie and say, for example, the scene when the housekeeper, you know, she does her, no, 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 no. She says it over and over again. Sure. There are people who watch and are like, oh, man, that's. That's creepy. But it's like it's clear he's doing that because he's riffing off all the other movies that have done the exact same thing. It's clearly I, he's doing
0: that. It is, but that's just it. That's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at, Tim. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be I'm not disagreeing for the sake of being contrary. But to what be a I'm dick saying is it. that where
1: you are okay with that and understand it. Where I stand, I just don't. I like it. Just doesn't jive with me,
0: and that's all I'm saying. And again, what I'm about to say is not meant to change your mind. It's not meant to. Uh, it's not meant to say that you're wrong and and you should deviate from your opinion. What I'm what I'm getting at is that y- you you while recognizing the merits of the film and the screenplay and recognizing the ability of Peele's, um talent in his writing to the degree that it, he created a sex- successful film, you do not feel that it was strong enough to merit its additional considerations, and especially in, in the screenplay, the win, or for Best Picture win. And that's fine. I'm, I'm not trying to take that away from you at all. Well, I didn't what, think what you I, were. I mean, I don't care. Well, it, your, your passion and your vigor here, uh, belie the fact that I think you do care a little. Um, what I, what I am, what I am trying to say is that, um, I simply, I simply think you are, you, you are not taking into consideration the audience that it, that those things were meant for. And the power and the strength of that audience is why it, 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 uh, ended up being nominated. It wasn't just the money. It was the audience that it attracted. And I don't mean a black audience. I mean the fact that it was, you know, white liberal guilt white liberal undertones racism uh conservative uh conservative money grabbing hold in different areas that you would never have least expected it um you're you know general middle class people who are like that's not me and then they realize wait that is african-american people who go damn that's exactly what i've been talking about african-american people who go wow we're fucked up too it's the power of the audience that was affected that caused the additional success of the film financially, but also drove it during award season. And I think that's the strength of the win. I think that's the strength that carries the nominations, that carries the win that it got. And, and I guess that's it. So,
1: <laughs> I, Hey, I, I'm glad it is what it is. Really, it's going to come down to he, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, has now a, I think he has like a three movie contract with Universal to make three more, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be horror movies. Social satire. Yeah, 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 exactly. If the next one's good, if the next one's different, I'm happy with that. But if it's going to be more of what I've seen before from him, it's going to annoy me again. I get it. I get it. There's a reason why Crash won Best Picture when it did. It happens,
0: but I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I had, um, I, I had another, I had one last piece of news related to Annihilation, but it's going to be just as prevalent next week if we get to it. We'll talk about it when
1: we is, talk about is, Annihilation because I got something, an article that I'm going to reference at least.
0: It, it's a pretty long op-ed, so. Uh, basically, here let me just throw this. Let me just throw this uh, out there. Uh, it's from Forbes.com, from the Media and Entertainment section, by way of Scott Mendelssohn. and the title of the article is "The Grim Box Office Fate of Annihilation Was an Inevitable Tragedy," and it is a very good read. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and it it really explains why Paramount did what they did in terms of um, sending the distribution chain to Netflix internationally. And it talks a lot about their slate from 2016 and 2017 going into this year. Um, and um, a lot about the state of cinema as it stands where when middle-aged people want to go see a movie so uh it's good but it is but it is pretty lengthy and so i would say absolutely check it out again com media and entertainment section uh from by way of scott mendelson the grim box office fate of annihilation was an inevitable tragedy and did you have any other news you wanted to get to sir
1: no i'm just gonna crash and burn with get out apparently <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Well then, uh, before we get to the old movies, let's do, let's do a word from our sponsor. Tim. Tim! Oh God. What the hell is that racket? What are you doing? Just trying to find a Twitch stream worth watching. That's what's up. Wow. That's an impressive amount of noise considering it's 2018 and you're using the internet. Come on, man.
1: Look, are you going to help me out or not?
0: Fine. What are you interested in?
1: That's part of the problem. I'm not exactly into one specific genre.
0: Ah, so then you need something like Rocket League or Hearthstone one day, CSGO or PUBG the next, maybe new games like Dragon Ball Fighter Z on other nights, right?
1: D- exactly! That would work.
0: Well, how do you feel about community involvement?
1: Am I being sentenced or something?
0: <laughs> not exactly. Do you like to live chat and play games with the streamer or vote on which games get streamed?
1: Oh, that! Uh, yeah, sure! But it, it's not a requirement, though, is it? Of course not. Well, where does one find this
0: haven on Twitch? Easy! Just go to twitch.tv slash marketect or reach out directly via Twitter at Twitch. How do you spell marketect? M-A-R-K-I-T-E-C-T Nice! Now we all
1: know this, I'm a slow typist here. Can you give it to me again?
0: Sure. Twitch.tv slash market and at market twitch for Twitter. That's twitch.tv slash market and at market twitch for Twitter. I'm on it, thanks. Alright, and without further ado, I guess it's time to cover those flicks, is it not, sir? Yes, please. Then here we go, folks, it's The Movies... Uh, all right and this week's movies are hostiles annihilation and black panther so where do you want to start sir
1: um well since we brought up annihilation let's just talk about annihilation
0: let's get annihilated can you describe its form no from the beginning what do you think I do when you're away you think I'm out in the garden pining (laughs) looking up at the sky (laughs) why aren't you here I gotta leave a day early
1: your husband's here
0: let me see him he's extremely ill you have to tell me where he was what he was doing it was his decision to go in it's something they termed the shimmer we've sent in drones and teams of people but nothing comes back but something has you're a biologist you served in the military if i knew what happened i could save his life the boundary's getting bigger it's expanding we're talking cities states We need to know what's
1: inside. So do I. It's beautiful. Check this out. It's like they're stuck
0: in a continuous mutation. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. Uh, They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence.
1: Through the fence?
0: We have to go back.
1: I can't go back.
0: We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. All right. So in case you weren't able to uh, decipher that from any trailer action Uh, that's 2018 uh, annihilation is a 2018 science fiction horror film it's written and directed by alex garland based on the novel by the same name by jeff vandermeer uh film actually stars nally portman jennifer jason lee gina rodriguez tessa thompson tuva Novotny, and oscar isaac and it follows a group of female military scientists who enter the Shimmer, a mysterious quarantine zone that is full of mutating landscapes and creatures. Um, so, yeah, basically what we have here is uh, Lena, who is a professor of... Um, I don't know if she makes it abundantly clear, but it's, it's like a biology. She's, you know, like cellular biology stuff, whatever. Um, who's... Uh her husband goes off on a secret mission he she used to work for the military uh she was in the military for seven years he still is in the military he goes off on a secret mission he's been gone for a year all of a sudden he just pops back up at home and like what the hell is happening well shenanigans ensue she finds herself actually sucked back into the whole military thing due to this shimmer and she's got to go figure out what the fuck happened to her husband um so this movie, I, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. I was not expecting to like this movie at all. Um, I was not moved by the trailer. I had heard a lot of mixed reactions from uh, audience scores, but obviously critics were all over it. Um, this is not the first um, thing that we've ever seen from alex garland this is the guy that gave us 28 days and 28 weeks later dread huge fan of dread myself he did ex machina which was a big film back in 2015 was all over the place for the oscars that year so um i'm definitely not hating on this i also know that this was a big deal because it is a female-led drama a movie and you've got some really great performances so I, I didn't really have high expectations, but I didn't have low expectations either. I was just kind of like, you know what? Let's just go see this movie and see what happens. And the movie is interesting. And I I can't really describe it any better than that. Um, special effects, interesting. Sci-fi concepts, interesting. Thought-provoking, Aspects, interesting. Acting, interesting. Uh, you know, direction, definitely interesting. But nothing in the movie for me stands out as phenomenal either. Um, I know that there are people who are going to... Um, say that this is something that just the spectacle alone, you should see it in the theater. Um, I think that there is some merit to that argument, but I would also say that it is not an absolute necessity either, especially if you have a friend who's got a really badass home system. You know, the old 70s, uh, 70 inch screen, OLED curved 4K crap, right? Would probably do you pretty well um at the end of the day i give this one a 3.5 out of 5 it is an interesting movie um it's got really good stuff going for it and part of the reason the the film plays out the way that it does just for some background information here is that the book annihilation is actually part of a trilogy of books and um alex garland is called the southern reach trilogy and the um, the books are Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance. It's, uh, again, the Southern Reach trilogy, if you're interested in it. The thing was is that the books were, were done as a kind of a package when uh, Vandermeek wrote them. So they released within eight months of each other. However, Garland only got his hands on Annihilation and was so intrigued by the story that before the second and third books even released, within eight months, he had already finished the script. So there are people who have read the book and or books may have a completely different experience with this film on the whole. But 3.5 out of 5, this movie is interesting. Tim, what do you got, sir?
1: So, Annihilation. It's really only the second movie of this year so far that I truly actually felt, I guess, compelled to really write any review for it. But it's kind of a shame, though, that only American audiences will have a chance to see this movie on the big screen since Netflix will actually be streaming it elsewhere sometime uh, this month. It's Alex Garland's follow-up to Ex Machina. This one, though, I thought was more thoughtful. And it was more of a frightening film. But it's not as well executed as Ex Machina Annihilation is. Is not. With only making $12 million of its reported $40 million back as of last week, I see this film having a relatively short life in theaters. Uh, However, I did read something today, March 5th, again, that it's getting a little money. It cost them $40 million to make, uh, if I uh, remember correctly, and... It's, I think, getting to about halfway. Maybe it'll have one of those slow-burn box office intakes. But unlike Denis Villeneuve's 2016 box office sci-fi success arrival, Annihilation isn't just another visually beautiful but overly drawn-out melodrama force-feeding the audience its reasoning so that the audience thinks they know what's going on. But Annihilation does have its bouts of scientific expedition by way of silly dialogue and unrealistic characters giving unrealistic dialogue. For example, when Natalie Portman references the hybrid alligator as a gator, you know, or the number of times she brings up the mission, that's in air quotes, because I can't really buy her as a biologist I can't even buy her as an army veteran, really. So when she's saying all this kind of like slang, I don't really buy into it. But I quickly realize that this film isn't trying to be overly cerebral like a rival. I mean, there are a couple characters who might be your typical dumb characters, but the story itself is far from being overwritten. And that's why I like this film a lot. Because I'm watching it and the story is taking form. And I'm thinking, oh man, we're already at this point. Things get set in motion pretty quick. Character motivations are getting thrown at you pretty quick. Science jargon is being said pretty early on. But again, unlike Arrival, which is fighting with the audience, basically pounding all this information to the audience's head by the end of the film... So that we can actually understand how she's able to do what the hell she actually does in Arrival by way of understanding or decoding the alien's language, written language or whatever. In some way, in some way, in some way, Denny Villeneuve provided the audience enough information to understand what was going on. But it was just exactly what I just said is kind of what you walk out with without having to go online and do a shit ton of research. So it's kind of sad when I go online after Annihilation, because I've heard a lot of talk of Annihilation. I did find these articles like via IndieWire, Annihilation on Netflix, Moviegoers Need to Take Responsibility for Paramount's Controversial Deal, where it goes into great detail about Annihilation only being released in the U.S., but everywhere else it's going to be on Netflix, And this is a movie that's going to have a significantly different impact watching this on, you know, watching it on your phone or watching it on your smaller TV. I get it. People have great TVs. People have great sound systems. But a lot of us live in apartments with neighbors or, or houses with kids that are trying to sleep in the next room where... You know, or, or or wives or significant others or whoever that need to do some cooking in the kitchen so the lights have to be on. This is a movie that actually benefits from seeing it on the big screen. Because it does require undivided attention, but at the same time it's just freaking entertaining. Uh, Another one of these articles, really quick, uh, flickeringmyth.com. Alex Garland couldn't give a shit about Annihilation being too too intellectual for test audiences. The ending of this movie was changed in the initial script process to make it more apparent as to what was going on at the end. Even though the script was made to be more apparent, it's still ambiguous as to shit because you definitely think one thing Until you think something else happened. And I know, I'm being a little ambiguous with saying that, but I know a lot of you listening to this hasn't actually seen the film. So go and see it, and maybe we'll talk about this later on. People want something intellectual. And if you call this movie too intellectual, producers out there, studio execs, call Annihilation too intellectual. Was Arrival not fucking intellectual? You know, because that movie was overly fucking intellectual, and a shit ton of people went to go see that movie. Uh, I think Arrival made $100 at the box office. Interstellar is an intellectual movie, but just because Christopher Nolan wrote the movie doesn't mean that the movie actually makes complete sense. All this is just kind of silly to me. Annihilation is a good movie. It's deserved to be seen on the big screen by people who are sci-fi fans and do want to just go see a movie... Out of sheer entertainment, because you know what? When it comes down to it, it's an entertaining movie that doesn't demand a shit ton of thought in order to actually get a good grasp as to what is happening on screen. 4.25 out of 5, it does have its faults, but overall, it's a very fine sci-fi movie. Please check it out if you're able to go see it.
0: Very good, sir, and where would you like to go from here?
1: how about Black Panther I have seen gods fly I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine Uh uh-huh I've seen aliens drop from the sky yeah but I have never seen anything like this how much more are you hiding hola
0: we are home my son it is your time Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all! What happens now determines what happens. To the rest of the world. Yes, 2018 American superhero film based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name. Uh let's see here. This is, of course, done up by Marvel and Disney, its latest offering. It's uh directed by Ryan Kugler. And stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyongo, Dana, uh, I'm sorry, Denai Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kaluuya, Letitia Wright, Winston, pardon me, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Andy Serkis. And in case you haven't noticed yet, the uh, two principal white guys in this film, Andy Serkis and Um, Martin Freeman are the Tolkien white guys. Oh, yeah, that's right. That just happened. Um, (laughs) and I'm now a double nerd, so it's okay. Anyway, so yeah, so what we have here is this movie is basically taking place, um, right after civil war, basically. Um and I, it's kind of like supposedly sandwiched, like in the two weeks after, basically, kind of like two weeks after Civil War, and we're seeing what's happening here when, uh, uh, T'Challa, um, is uh taking over the throne and. Having to deal with the vibranium and catching, um, oh, what's his name? Andy Serkis' character, Ulysses, uh, Claw, but, you know, trying to take out Claw for doing what he did to his dad and all that stuff and yada, yada, yada. Well, we then, of course, get this side, side character of Michael B. Jordan as, uh, Killmonger, basically is who he is. Uh, he's, uh, in Jadaka. And, he steps in because well he thinks that he's got a claim to the throne too and as i always like to say shenanigans ensue so this movie is definitely very well done one i um uh, but as much as it's well done and everyone who is all the you got everyone screaming oh man you know this is such a powerful movie such an important movie uh because we've got our first black superhero you know really and truly stepping up and and they did such a great job of of you know getting african-american culture of getting uh black culture of getting straight african culture and really representing it, uh, and doing it justice. All of these things are true. And the movie definitely deserves all the props that it's getting in that department. I also liked, uh, especially, um, uh, Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, who is T'Challa's, uh, sister. Their, their dynamic and their relationship, um, absolutely feels, um, 100% natural like i was very very impressed and from the moment they started speaking you get the impression that these people uh have just great chemistry together i would even say off um offset as well so there's some really good things going but honestly and this is going to be very surprising to a lot of people um while I really enjoyed the, me- the, the movie on the whole, um, and thought it was an excellent, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a great, um, addition to the, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to, to the showcase that's going to become, uh, the, in, in the, uh, Infinity Wars and all that good stuff. And the music, holy crap is the music, and the score, wow, really well done. The plot, is something that has really and truly just been done to death and it's kind of hard to get this to to, to really get the character of black panther off the ground if we're just going to rehash the no 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 you're not supposed to have a claim on the throne. I have a claim on the throne storyline that's been done to death in a million different ways for a million different television shows as well as movies. Now, that's not to say you'll be bored by it, but I was really hoping for just a for a better integrated story. Um, and I understand why they went that way because it does keep it very centric to the Wakanda people and to the Wakanda tribe, uh, and thus helps to really strengthen the African-American audience. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry, not audience, um, cast. And these things are important. But I still maintain that you still could have pulled different story elements together to have a better overall plot. And because the plot is so generic... This one gets a 3.5 out of 5. It's still really well acted. It's still a lot of fun. Um, and I definitely don't have anything negative to say in those aspects. But, I mean, just the story's just been done to death. So, 3.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? Motherfucker. Cut. Apparently, I have angered Tim.
1: You did. Now... Now you decide to rate a fucking Marvel movie lower than me? Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) After the whole get out, you know, discussion we had, if we shall call it a discussion, I'm over here giving Black Panther a 3.75 out of 5 and you're giving it 3.5. What the fuck is that shit? It's a good movie. It's the same stuff we've seen over and over again. It has it's like a- it's like a fresh coat of paint. You got your car, you got a- you got a new paint job on your car. It's fun. It's interesting. Is it going to last for the rest of your life? No. Do I think in a way Black Panther was trying to appeal to a certain audience for the sake of appealing to a certain art audience to bring in box office revenue? Yes. And I feel that way because this is another Marvel movie. It's a it's a good movie, it's entertaining, but it's another Marvel movie. It's another Marvel movie with shady blue screen. Yeah, I mean, they're three-dimensional characters for the most part, but we've seen them before. It's the same basic setup. Now, granted, it's more action-centric than Winter Soldier is or was but it's still the same thing you know you have character building yes it's a new setting it's a new place they tease us with the coolness of wakanda but other than the inside of the secret black panther wakandan society the hall of justice or whatever it's called and then the scientist ladies uh lab all you see of wakanda is an alleyway that's all you see is a street with some vendors and some people in costumes. But that's that's pretty much it. You're, you're told about how wonderful and beautiful Wakanda is, but you don't really ever see anything of it. And I guess I, you could say that I felt kind of the same way with Asgard. They just really screwed the pooch in trying to do effective world building. Because yes, you see characters. Yes, you go to the other Wakandan tribe. I, I guess, I don't No, I guess they're not Wakandans. But the other tribe who they go over there for help. Yeah, you, you know, you get a sense of new scenery. But that's all it is. It's like new scenery, a new type of character just to show you something new and different. You know? But when you actually apply that to the story, it doesn't really do a whole lot. Because you still have your overblown blue screen, CGI-heavy action set piece at the end that basically culminates to a fizzle. I wasn't necessarily rooting for anybody, Uh, I mean, the bad guy was interesting, because in some way he had a point, but that's kind of been the only positive thing people have said about the bad guy, is that he's bad, but, you know, we we feel for him, he got us in the feels. But, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of surface layer, or at least that should be surface layer stuff, you know? I I guess compared to all the other Marvel movies, this was just a giant step forward. And I cannot subscribe to that. I cannot fall into that train of thought. But I still give it a 3.75. Because it's an entertaining movie. I didn't really laugh, I was just entertained. And that's really all I gotta say about it. Do, do you agree with any of that at all? Or is, I do. is this I another Black Panther? Group? No, I mean, is this another Get Out thing?
0: <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, um i I think that and that that's that's why i maybe I was a little harder on it than you in that regard, because while I think it did so many things well, especially for all of the milestones that it's setting in cinema, and it is important for black people to have uh to have their outlet and have it so universally accepted um and, and so all of those things are really important and should be celebrated and and they did very well it just that's it makes it all the more disappointing that there are elements that could have made the movie even better and are and really should have been done like the, so, like the
1: single shot casino fight scene was pretty bad like there was really nothing to it it's like we want we really want it's like the the uh, Ryan Coogler the director who he did creed so he's an accomplished director he's a great director sure. One of my favorite films of uh, when did it come out? 2015, 2016. Uh, it was it was it was a fantastic movie. So he's an accomplished director. Yet I'm sure he was like you know we real I really want to do a uh, a continuous shot of this fight scene, but you know he might he had this great vision, but he had to do it within the confines of a Marvel movie, and it just didn't come out. I don't know if it was. Uh, there was too much lighting, too much color I, I I don't too much blue screen i I don't know, but man, like I just i just it's just it's I think it's just too obvious it's just way too obvious for people to overlook, but oh well,
0: indeed, indeed, all right, well, then that is going to leave us with hostiles oh, I don't know how oh, you
1: know all these years seeing all the
0: things you've seen doing all the things you've done makes you feel inhuman after a while
1: captain you do know chief yellow hawk the army wants to be certain that the chief gets home to montana safely without incident
0: i don't have any idea what he's done he's a butcher And the two of you ought to get along just fine I've killed savages, because that's my job. You have no idea what war it does to men. I hate them. I got a war bag of reasons to hate them. This will be
1: done, and it will be done by you.
0: Parade's over. Put them in chains. You believe in the Lord, Joseph? Yes, I do. But he's been blind what's going on out here for a long
1: time. If I did not have faith,
0: what would I have? I've killed everything that's walked or crawled. If you do it enough, you get used to it. That's what I'm afraid of. You just gotta take your dues. We both know it could just as easily be you sitting here in these chains. Sometimes I envy the finality of death, the certainty, and I have to drive those thoughts away when I'm weak. Understand this, when we lay our heads down out here, we're all prisoners. Alright, 2017 American Western Films, written and directed by Scott Cooper, based on a story by Donald E. Stewart, it stars Christian Bale, Rosamund Pike, Wes Studi, Ben Foster, Stephen Lang, Jesse Plemons, Rory Cochran, Adam Beach, Cory Coryanka Kilcher, and Timothy Chalamet. Boy, he's just showing up all over the place, isn't he? Uh, so basically, this is following a U.S. cavalry officer, played by... Uh, play... Play... Bleh. Because I was about to say his name, and his name is Christian Bale, not Joseph J. Blocker. The character is Joseph J. Blocker, <laughs> played by Christian Bale. He
1: loved the character so much, he changed his name.
0: So, uh, yeah, he is taking a Cheyenne war chief, played by Wes Studi. Ba- basically, he's just taking him home to Montana to die. Um, and he's not really happy about doing this because they have history. and on their way, they come across uh, Rosemond Pike's character where the uh, Comanches had just killed her entire family. So they join in together and then off on their adventure. Uh, shenanigans ensue. All right, so this movie is again, it's a it's a western so anyone with a, a, an ounce of um know how understanding and talent can give you beautiful cinematography as is the case here uh so it's you know the 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 scale and the scope is beautiful as they travel the acting i thought on the whole very very well done um but the story itself doesn't have enough components for it to actually be a two hour and 13 minute movie. So honestly, normally I say it's usually about half hour long. No, this movie vastly approaches about 40 minutes too long, maybe even 45 minutes too long. There are a lot of plot points that happen that could really have just been condensed. Um, so that you have, so you have high tension and western drama because i don't think a lot of people understand just how much stress there was involved in living out on the plains and you know taming the west and that can be the tension of the film you don't have to draw things out to let the story tell and it wouldn't have affected the it wouldn't have made it feel like it was too much happening too soon because it has a clear goal in mind right because we're taking blocker who's got to take yellowtail to his burial ground so i mean we have a already a clear-cut path here so all of the things that happen along the trail can still happen and still happen in that secession it just doesn't need to take so long for it to happen um and so yeah, so once again, uh, we got the trifecta this week. Three point five out of five. It's a it's a decent flick. It's a truly decent flick. I'm glad that I got to see the Western. It's just too long. Bring us home, Tim.
1: I 100% agree. Uh, it's beautifully shot, and I thought it was effectively paced until about the halfway mark, where the slow burn pace felt like felt more like an art house move than building up the audience's care for the characters so it began to ask a little too much of my patience and, and also the audience's patience because it was a packed house there were a lot of elderly at this 8 p.m showing it's a good movie i think the story is great but damn the character work of some of the side characters especially did not land for make the two hour and 13 minute runtime worth it Yet, I still give it a 3.5 out of 5. It is a Western movie. It is a genre that we don't see too often. And I believe it actually is something that people do care about. At least, uh, I think, the majority of the elderly care about it. On a budget of (laughs) N.A., I mean, shit, man, this budget could not have been that much. Uh, It has grossed almost $30 million here domestically since it's... uh,
0: I have a budget of $39 million.
1: Okay, well, it has not made its budget back. Uh, but um, still, I mean, I'm kind of impressed for this movie making at least $29 million. I mean, I would have thought it wouldn't even hit fifteen. to be honest. It's a good movie. If you like Christian Bell, check it out. Uh, if you like Rosamund Pike, she does play, uh, you could say, an empowering female. And also, Wes Studi. Is Wes Studi, does he play the...
0: He's Yellow Hawk. He's Yellow he's Hawk. He's the actual guy who's, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's great. Be, he's the one being taken home to die. Right. And, and of course, you're going to recognize Wes Studi because he's like, you know, the, uh, um, who's the uh, Iron Eyes Cody of our time. You know, the guy has been doing movies for getting on to 30 years. So yeah. you'll you'll recognize him no matter
1: what. And we, and we all know who Ben Foster is. But again, the last thing I'll say, uh, again, regarding some of the side characters you know with the pacing the character work isn't there when ben foster does show up and i love ben foster and he is a delight to watch on screen even he couldn't really save his scenes but again you know 3.5 out of 5 it's a good movie and that's all i got for hostiles
0: all right so then next week's movies we might throw in Paddington 2 just for fun, uh, but we're definitely going to be talking about A Wrinkle in Time and 2018's Death Wish, which is actually going to be a kind of a hybrid movie for us because not only are we going to be reviewing 2018's Death Wish, we are also going to include it in our copycat throwdown for next week where we will uh, be doing 1974's Death Wish versus 2018's Death Wish wish and so without further ado i believe it is time for the spiel is it not sir spiel on Drake. yes dad have you ever seen a commie drink a
1: glass of water well yeah i i can't say
0: i have jack (laughs) vodka that's what they drink isn't it never water well i I believe that's
1: what they drink, Jack, yes. On no account will a commie ever drink water, and not without good reason. Oh,
0: Uh,
1: yes. I, um, can't quite see what you're getting at, Jack.
0: Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both. Slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. And again, this week's episode brought to you by Market Tech Media. Check out Market Tech on Twitch, Saturday through Thursday, 9 to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Market Tech. And, of course, if you want to reach out to us directly, you can do so by sending an email to the show at slscast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter, at nitwit1. One, two three four five you can of course come aboard that information superhighway and track on tim on twitter if that's your heart's desire don't forget you can subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio as well as track us down on the old soundcloud so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to michael b jordan i get to say this don't pretend to know everything i've been blessed to work with a lot of veteran actors and i soak up lessons from them like a sponge take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you
1: again next week Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh. Very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.
0: Monsieur!